welcome to the Untitled Art Podcast presented by Artsy. My name is Clara Andrade Pereira, Head of BAP Relations with Untitled Art, and I am very happy to introduce uh, the conversation entitled Latinx and the artists everyone should know. Participants include Maria Elena Ortiz, Karen Vidangos, Nicole Calderon, and Arlene Davila. Welcome to all. We are so fortunate to have you joining our live programming at Untitled Art Podcast, and we so look forward to this conversation. Arlene, I hand the mic over to you now. Okay, thank you. So this is working. Awesome. Um, first of all, thank you for everyone who's here, and most importantly, uh, Omar, the team from Untitled, who provided us a space to talk about this book, and most importantly, to these four bravas, right, who are here with me and, and agreed to be part of this conversation. So I just want to really thank them for the work they do. Um, when Omar and I talked about presenting my book, I immediately thought that I wanted to just more than anything, bring four people that are doing the work um, that I admire um, to not only go over the points of the book, but also to highlight the work that they're doing and ensure that you know about them and follow their work. Because as I talk about in Latinx art, what we're doing is it takes a village, right? We're part of an ecosystem and it takes more than a book. And I talk about it, I talk about it, the Latinx art movement that involves artists, curators, scholars, community members that are part of this conversation that I document in the book. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna each of us talk for up to 10 minutes or less. And in fact, we're gonna be warned when our time is coming up because we wanna have a conversation and hopefully get to some Q&As with the audience. So briefly, before we start, um, I wrote Latinx art because my students inspire me to do so. Basically, I've been at NYU for over 20 years. I'm dating myself here. But it was kind of frustrating that whenever I talked about Latinx artists, my students would immediately think of Diego Rivera or Frida Kahlo. I mean, literally. And, and to me, this was like year after year, right? which was a testament to the invisibility of Latinx artists. And before I go on, I wanna highlight that I'm using Latinx as a gender neutral term. I understand not everybody uses it. If you're more comfortable with Latino, Latina, go ahead. The key issue is to highlight the need to find, to, to identify, right, and identify Latin American artists in the context of the United States, right, and really name them, and really think about their specificity of these artists. Because in my understanding, my students confirmed it, we tend to just think of Latina, Latin artists. We immediately think of Latin American artists. And we don't think of Latinx art and creativity. And to me, it was fascinating that we have so many different imaginaries, right? We think about Latinx consumers, Latinx voters, Latinx in so many different contexts, right? Yet when we think about the art, we stumbled, right? How is it possible that we use the imaginary of Latino consumers, Latino voters, and nobody ever thinks about that? Yet when we think about Latinx art, we really didn't have a space. People were like taking it, doing a double take, right? So to me, it was important to highlight why, why that is, right? And the kind of uh, structural racism in the art world that makes it seem that it's impossible for us to imagine Latinx art and creativity, and that we would immediately reduce them to Latin American art, right? Um, I'm an ethnographer and I'm an anthropologist, so basically I interviewed artists, dealers, people that are involved in this art world, right? I spend a lot of research 
hearing on Tidal and our Basel and trying to understand, right, why is it that Latinx artists were nowhere? And um, one of the things we're going to talk about is the fact that this year there's many more Latinx artists, right? But we really need to assess what has changed and what are the continuing issues. So that's basically what I do in my book, um, which is right here. Um, you can find it uh, in independent bookstores. Um, the introduction, you could download it for free right now online. So it's super accessible. Um, but more importantly, I wanted um, not to go over the, the details of the book, but also uh, for you to, to meet some of the movers and shakers um, that some, some of them are, are, were interviewed in the book, uh, like Marielena, um, the curator from, from PAM. She was one of my first interviews. And I'm so glad that she agreed, right, to be here with us. But also, uh, we have Nicole Calderon. I, I didn't imagine that there would be a Latinx identified gallery. When I was writing my book, people said, oh, Latinx, people will think of the ghetto, right? That's just not marketable. That's, you know. And here we are, right? Galleries that are actually branding themselves as Latinx, you know. That's kind of unbelievable. And also artivists like Karen from Latina Museums, who I didn't know when I was writing the book, but I've been following her work. And I wanted, um, I want to learn more, right? And that's why she's invited here. So I will just end my remarks here and um, leave it, turn it to, I guess, we'll start with, uh, with Marielena, right? And then we'll just have a Q&A and hopefully a conversation. So thank you for everyone to be here, Marielena. Thank you, Arlene. Thank you, Untitled. Thank you to my fellow panelists. It's a pleasure to be here this afternoon. Um, as Arlene was mentioning, we met a couple years ago when it was a very specific moment in the US because you know the political th aspects were changing, but also there was a, an, an energy around thinking and considering what does it mean to be Latino, Latina, Latinx today here in the US. Um, prior to working in Miami, I did a lot of work in Mexico City, so I was very familiar with the Latin American context. And something that when I moved to Miami, I continuously noticed was the connections between the artists of Latin descent that are working here with Latin America, but also how their work is references, referencing what it means to be here in the U.S. and U.S. art histories. So for me, when, when this conversation started at a more um, kind of community level, it made a lot of resonance, right? Um, I know that Arlene, you wanted specifically to mention certain things, right? Or should I just continue on rambling? I will, I will stop you if we need to go back to any other conversation, just. Okay. So I'll say that, um, you know, I'm based in Miami, which Miami is a very interesting city because it's a majority, minority city, which means that um, minorities actually compose a larger aspect of the community. And it was very interesting to see the dynamics between, you know, Latin Americans that moved here to Miami, but also their children or the children of their children that actually live in this hybrid space that is very different to what their parents lived. And um, a couple of years ago, I did a program at the museum called Latinx Art Sessions. And I remember some of my colleagues saying to me, oh, Latino doesn't exist in here in Miami. It doesn't, we're not, we're, we're Cuban, we're Argentinian, we're Brazilian, it doesn't exist. But when I did the program, the auditorium was full. Everybody came because that new generation of, of the, the kids of, of our patrons, for example, they were like, oh, I identify as this. I know what it means to be 
in between all those spaces. And that was very um, refreshing to me as a curator, but also as a fellow Latina living in this country. Um, after that, we've done a couple of shows that have included um, Latinx artists, but perhaps in the last year where our exhibition program stopped for a second um, and we actually turn our engine more towards acquisitions, I would say that one of the biggest things that have happened in the last couple of years is the amount of acquisition of Latinx artists that we've been able to do. So for example, we acquired Glendalee's Medina. That was actually conversation with the gallery and also as a donation. Um, we purchased away by Kenny Rivero. We also, I did actually a show at Fidelay Bias and now she's like, you know, a big star. Um, the list can go on and on and on and on and it's quite um, impressive to support collecting Latinx artists into the museum because not only as Arlene was mentioning, it's a, it's a gap in terms of our history, but also these waves of um, of marketing, I'm gonna call them, and what I mean by that, come and go, and what I mean by that is that um, every so often there is this, this impetus in the art world to collect Latin American, African American, African Black, Latinx. This 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 been happening since, well, the '60s, I believe, and it's very it's it comes and goes, it comes and goes, but we can make all the exhibitions, we can make all the programs, but once the museum gets into the collection, that's when it's going to go beyond that specific moment of um, trend, right? So I do think that what we've done in the last couple of years of acquiring uh, more Latinx artists and showing it at the museum. If you go right now to Pam, you're going to see Kenny up, you're gonna see Eddie Martinez up as well, and it's, it's important, it's very, very significant. Um, and I'll end it there. And actually, I'll say one last thing, since I mentioned Eddie Martinez. You know, um, there's a lot of gaps between the, the, the as, as, as Arlene was mentioning, especially when it comes to markets, but there are, a, there are a few or some Latinx artists that actually have really solid markets. And that's not spoken often, but Eddie Martinez is one of them, whose his paintings go for like <laughs> over half a million. Teresita Fernandez is another one. Uh, even people like Oscar Murillo, who he, he's, it's Colombian based in London. Like, you know, there's this, this, there's gaps, but there's also stories of great successes within our market. Thank you so much. The work that Marielena is doing is so important to have curators that know our artists and can show them, um, contextualize them, and most importantly, purchase their work, right? It makes a difference that you have Latinx curators in major institutions. Um, another issue I highlight in the book is the gap in the ecosystem of dealers. When I was writing the book and doing main of the research, most of the dealers were um, Anglo-Americans, and you didn't see people of color as dealers and gallerists, right? And how important it is to have uh, Latinx dealers also, right? So when I learned about Nicole Calderon, I was so excited because we need to see more people like Nicola Calderon um, being, being uh, mediating our work, right? Um, it makes a difference. So Nicole, um, now you're here, so share a little bit about your program and the importance of having galleries like yours right now. Hi everybody, my name is Nicole Calderon. I am first of all incredibly honored and proud to be here um, with these three amazing women that I look up to. Um, 
I just opened a gallery in Manhattan in September in New York City. Uh, it's called Calderon. Um, the gallery is an inclusive program with a focus on Latinx, so Latin American artists and diaspora artists. Um, I guess I talk, I'll talk a little bit about my background before I talk more about the program. I've been working in New York City galleries in Chelsea and blue chip galleries for the last decade. Uh, I worked for a gallery called Tina Kim in Manhattan uh, and also Kukje um, in Korea. So while I was there for almost six years, I got to really see, learn everything and um, see how this family, learn everything about Korean modern and contemporary art and an and, and international program, but I also got to see what they were able to do in terms of placing these artists from, the, from Korea and the Korean diaspora in institutions, catalog their work, publish books, um, do programming, and really spearhead um, Korean and Korean diaspora collectors while maintaining an international program. And that was really inspiring to me because I didn't really see that in the art world uh, at the time. And I'm from Puerto Rico originally, so seeing that as a Latina, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Like, I wanna see this happen for Latin American, Caribbean, and Latinx artists. Um, so it really inspired me. Um, <clears throat> after being there for, for a handful of years, then I went to Timothy Taylor who's a British dealer in London and has a space in New York, and I was the director of that space, and I was able to curate a show with Danny Baez in the space of Latin American diaspora artists, including Claudia Peña Salinas, Solange Pessoa, uh, Jordi Minaya, um, to name a few. And um, that was really exciting for me, that opportunity. I decided to, to move on and take a break and the pandemic hits. And I had a lot of time to think. <laughs> and at that time, uh, this con I've always wanted to open a gallery, um, but I never thought that it would happen in New York City because New York City is incredibly expensive. Um, and the pandemic afforded me the opportunity and I decided to open a gallery with this focus. And we opened in September. Um, with incredible artists, Jaime Munoz and Esteban Ramon Perez. And now we have two phenomenal artists in the space, the current exhibition, which is Daniel De Jesus, who will be joining us shortly. And I have a solo presentation with her over at NADA. And um, Shelin Rodriguez, who's another wonderful, amazing artist. Um, so if you're in New York, please come by the space and see the show. And uh, I also have a booth here where I'm presenting future artists that I'm collaborating, collaborating with in the program, including Nora Maite Nieves, uh, Daniel De Jesus, Christian Reese Berman, and Devin Osorio, and Julie Severino. Uh, so that's, that's my background and what I'm doing. Wonderful. So I wanted now to introduce Karen. Um, Karen, you may follow her in Latina in Museums. She's got this handle. And um, you know, to me, Karen represents also what we also so much so much, um, is so needed, right? Which is the writers, the curators, the critics, and the people that are uplifting Latinx art at all levels. I always say that it's not enough to just show and sell work. You have we have to document, we have to archive, and we have to more importantly. 
um, create that space, especially in the digital world. And that's what Karen and new generations of, I, I talk about them as um, digital archivist curators in the book. And I believe you're identified, even though I, would, I didn't know you. I'm like, these are some of the people that we need to be reaching out to. Um, I was very impressed by the fact that in an art world that is extremely white-centric, and where our, our Latinx curators were missing, the digital world was creating another exciting space where young curators and activists like Karen were filling the void. And one of the things that I highlight in the book is the importance of following them, because they are filling the void. Um, and hopefully, mainstream institutions will catch up, because they had to. But until they do, there's really vibrant artivist, uh, archivist in the digital world that we should learn about. And among them is Karen. So I leave you with her now. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you. It is um, an absolute honor to be here sitting with these women. I think first and foremost, I like to mention that, you know, I'm not a professor, I'm not a curator, not a gallerist. And um, so my role in all of this, you know, is kind of a question mark, you know, how, how do I contribute? I admire these women. I look up to them and the work that they do. And so for me, uh, I am a social media strategist for the Smithsonian's um, our Reckoning with Our Racial Past, which is a new initiative, and social media specialist for the National Portrait Gallery. So being able to contribute digitally has been my means of contributing um, and wanting to uplift Latinx artists. Right now, uh, Instagram, which we know is a very visual platform and key for a lot of artists to get their work out there, the Latinx community, 30 and under, is the number one, the biggest percentage of people using that platform, Latinx community. So it is absolutely important for our voices to be heard, not just in the gallery space, not just within the museum space, but online as well. And so that is something that I've been trying to contribute. There is an enormous amount of artists out there that are putting themselves out there at all levels who are you know, students, they're rising artists, they're well-established, who are really pushing through the noise to make themselves heard, make themselves known. So. What I've tried to do is I have a new database, uh, the Latinx Art Collective, and it is the first US uh, nationwide database exclusively for US Latinx artists. Um, it is free to join and essentially very simple concept, but I think it's very necessary in order to just sort of see who is out there, see who is working, basically like an address book, like the yellow pages but for Latinx artists across the nation. You know, not everyone has um, the ability to be represented by a gallery. Not everyone has the means to have a website to show their work. And so this is sort of uplifting them in that way by giving them a platform to put their information, to put some of their work online and, and be seen by people who are interested locally across the nation to say, I really want to see a painter from Texas. I really want to collect a work or connect with an artist or host them on a panel. Um, who, who is available? And being able to search in that way, you know, is, it's incredibly vital. So I've been blessed to be able to connect with a lot of these different artists who are doing incredible work. 
Um, and I think a lot of the work that I've done for the National Portrait Gallery and the Smithsonian overall has really helped um, sort of give me an understanding of what, what the institution side of it looks like and how technology can sort of bridge the gap between these spaces and the digital world. Um, really quickly, so the National Portrait Gallery has a competition, a triennial, called the Outwin Buchiver Portrait Competition. And um, so we all know uh, Michelle Obama's portrait by Amy Sherald. Amy Sherald actually won the competition, I believe, six, six years ago. And the last competition, I believe, was before COVID, was the first Latino artist who won, which is Ugo Crosswaith. And so, you know, we have two Latina curators at the Portrait Gallery. So I have taken a lot of inspiration from my own space, my own workspace, which I have felt very lucky to be in, because I think that's very rare. Um, and, un and understand that connection between the curator, between artists, and between the audience online. So, thank you. Um, before I turn to the questions, I also want to shout out the Latinx project. I always forget to mention it, but because we are in a podcast and I want this to reach as, ma as a huge audience as possible, check out also what we're doing at NYU. When I was writing the book, I also um, founded the Latinx project at NYU, which is an interactive multidis multidisciplinary space uplifting Latinx art, culture, and scholarship. We have uh, open calls for curators and for artists in residence. And it's so key because when I was writing the book, a lot of people told me, who are these artists? Where do you find them? There, there seemed to be a genuine interest in these artists, but nobody knew where you could find them, right? And it's so great that now we have like resources like what Karen is, is doing, galleries like Nicole, but also the Latinx project grew out of that impetus too. We also have an artist index with all of the artists that we've been showing. And I take huge pride in realizing that in the five years, it's gonna be five years next year, four years this year, that we've been operating, we have shown more Latinx artists that's, that most of the mainstream New York City institutions combined. Um, so it really makes a difference to have those spaces that, that are dedicated to our community. So I wanted now to turn to some questions that I had to share with you, and you know, no order. Um, I wanted us to, to basically, um, if we could talk about some of the gaps and erasures that having a category of Latinx art helps us address. Um, especially thinking about Afro-Latinx artists or indigenous artists or artists in the diaspora, um, how useful it is to have that category of Latinx art that specifies the need for thinking about diaspora artists now. So I don't know if any of you want to comment on how you've, you've encountered that um, in your own practices. Well, I think from a digital aspect, you know, how, how I began actually is, you know, I follow a lot of art world influencers on Instagram. And one day I was just sort of browsing through my feed and I noticed that a lot of these influencers, the majority of them are white. And I just wanted to see myself represented. I wanted to see someone that looked like me. I wanted to see Latinx community in museum spaces. We like art. We like taking pictures in front of artwork as well. Um, and having that representation and having that missing is, it's almost too obvious. You don't see it. 
So for me, having that representation online is inspiring for others. They see themselves represented. And this isn't just those who work in the museum field or, or the art world. This is for the visitors. This is for the audience, for the people who don't feel like they can walk into a museum just to visit or bring their family. Seeing themselves represented in the artists that they view, that they're the fans of, I think helps inspire them to be more vested in, in art. And Marielena, um, I think that it has. Um, I think that this category has certainly helped a lot in speaking about things that we as a Latin community have not wanted to speak about. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, ideas of immigration, for example, the fact that not everybody here has to. I'm from Puerto Rico. I, I my story is different than than other Latinos in this country. So, speaking about that, race is another big one. That um, or indigeneity that we as a Latin community have have a harder harder way to speaking about those things because we were taught that we were all in my case everybody's Puerto Rican we're all black Taino and European so everything's cool don't worry about it so I think that it's it's been allowing us to to at least start to grapple with those questions which I think is also something that worries me because uh, we still don't have the language. So, and, and we still have a lot to negotiate because our reality is not the same as kind of the binary in the US of like black and white. So, so we have to together come up with a language and a way that we want to speak about differences that works for us on our own terms. So in that way, I think that's been helpful. And I also think there's another way that's been very helpful, which is also for, you know, there's a push between our community to assimilate. And to, for example, for people like Charlie Sheen and the Esteves family to become what they are, like change their names, don't say, you know, that you're of a Latin background. I think that now also artists are feeling more comfortable saying, yes, I'm a Latinx artist and I have space to fill in this conversation. Uh, I was going to say, you brought up a really good point in that the community, we're not a monolith. And brilliantly, you wrote in your book that that is the issue within the art world, is that th there is this difficulty to wrap their minds around the fact that Latinx community in the US is not a monolith. They want to sort of box us in to one particular genre or a topic or a theme or, or however they want to do it. But the fact is, is that there's an incredible amount of diversity in background and language, in the way families is held together. Uh, you know, you have Chicano, Puerto Rican, and that's okay. But I think that has been the issue in the art world in, in trying to elevate the community as a whole is that they struggle with trying to box us in and you cannot. I think that identity can be incredibly complex and that's the beauty of it. And what I love about the term Latinx is that it creates a platform for, you know, Latina American, there's so many countries, we're a full spectrum, you know, I'm also Puerto Rican and you know, we're both Puerto Rican, Maria Elena and I, and it's and Arlene, and we're all very different. And I think the beauty of Latinx is that it sort of bridges it, and it starts a conversation. And what I, and that's what I love about it—that 
to just have the conversation about it. We can talk about it and it's an education and learn about the enormous spectrum and diversity of Latin America and the diaspora. I want to turn to um, what, what trends excite you or worry you. And I want to go right there because, you know, as I said, this is a very different title than when I was doing my research, right? There's many more Latinx artists. There seems to be more recognition. Some people would argue, oh, there's a kind of a fashion and a trend, right? So I wanted us to think about like, what are the things that are more exciting about this moment, but that also worry, that are worrisome, that we need to kind of be watch out for. Um, and I'll start by just sharing, you know, that I'm so delighted to see so many more artists represented by galleries. But I want to see artists also being really represented by galleries. You know, I don't think it's fair that galleries are charging so much and not adding value to artists. You know, artists could sell their work through Instagram, right? So a gallery should be adding value, should be writing, should be creating catalogs, should be bringing curators to see the work, really adding value. And I would like to see a space where the Latinx community could become leaders in imagining a more fair and equitable art world where artists re, uh, resell royalty rights are recognized and respected or models that really um, give back to the artist, right? Um, I like to see us also writing more. I think sometimes we just like show artists, but you know, we need artists, we need more journalists, right? I like to see more Latinx uh, scholars, writers, journalists, right? So many shows are not written about, right? They just happen and there's no trace of that. One of the things that we do at the Latinx Project, and I welcome everyone here to pitch us stories. We actually pay small stipends to writers because we really want to ensure that there is writing criticism of our community. So we have a digital publication, check it out, called Interventions. So in some, um, you know, I just I want to share what, what, what you, what kind of warnings, right? Because I think we're at a moment of excitement, but also we have to thread very carefully to ensure that we're not just like bringing attention to artists without like becoming part of the problem, right? How can we bring equity also to Latinx artists and ensure that they're not only shown, but that museums purchase the work, as, as Marielena was saying, right? to ensure that this is just not a one-time thing, but that it's lasting and there's structural transformation in the art world. So I'll start with Marielena on this one. So what excites me, it's certainly having more artists uh, represented uh, in the fairs. That's something that, it, you know, I've been in Miami now for eight years, so this is, this is new. And I would even add, like, you know, even Caribbean artists as well. Like, there's a lot now. And, you know, I've been to Basel, not Untitled and Nada, which are probably my favorite, or the ones that I go more, and uh, and there's been a lot of representation. It also excites me that there's also been an increase of Latinx art curators in this system. So um, that's also something that it's quite exciting that I'm hoping that my colleagues are kind of leaving their mark in their institutions and also just being there. Sometimes it just creates space. Um, in terms of worries, um, I do, I wish the prices for some of, of those artists were higher. I mean, we still, compared to the, even, even the Latin American market is quite depressed compared to, you know, African American or of course the, the, 
the white male market. <laughs> um, so that's something that I feel like there's uh, more to, to work on in terms of value there. And also, again, um, I, I still, I'm always going to push for uh, a discourse that is inclusive yet respects difference. So I, 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 I hope that we as a community, like us in the community, can create those bridges because I think that often we are the ones that fall into the trap of you know the language thing or not speaking about the racial differences you know the whole mestizo indigeneity conversation like I think I hope that we can and immigration I mean I hope that we can we can come together um, as, as a whole Nicole it's incredibly exciting to see all these Latinx, Latino, Latina artists and Caribbean artists being exhibited. So I'm very excited and proud of all of the artists to be in this space. Um, I can speak from the gallery business side. <laughs> um, a gallery can serve as a function where they can make, you know, they build relationships with clients, with patrons that are on museum boards. Uh, they have relationships with institutions. Uh, they can have access to publishing uh, catalogs and digital art, digitally archiving. Um, and I feel that, you know, I know that a gallery can do those things. And those things are incredibly important because that's archival and that's part of history. And all of these artists are, are an important part of history. And so I think that answers both of those questions. <laughs> what I'm excited about, uh, I'm excited that there's a hunger for these artists. There is a hunger with the audience to really get to know more of who these artists are, what kind of work they do. Um, the, not sure when this will happen, probably years down the line, but the Smithsonian's uh, National Latino Museum has been approved to, to be created. So that is something that I think will be very exciting for the community, for the artists that, that should be in this collection. And that truly, going back to the audience, the visitor, that, that hunger to want to know more about who these artists are, where they can find them, um, and the wonderful work that curators and gallerists are doing to, to show their work and elevate their work. Um, what worries me, what worries me, um, is just being boxed in. Uh, this happens now, it's been happening for decades, is the community being boxed in and not being able to, to break out of that. You know, there's a lot of barriers to overcome and thankfully there's a lot of us doing the work to, to help break through the, those barriers for artists to, to really be shown. But what worries me is, is not being able to break through. I, I think I want to echo that too. And I think if there's any takeaway um, of a, a point that I repeat over and over in the book is that Latinx art is American art, right? And we need to be very sensitive to the fact that right now with the demographics of this country, it's over 18% or so or more Latinx, which means that when we say Latinx art is American art, we need to see Latinx artists shown in all museums in the United States, college, university museums, museums of, of contemporary art, 
as well as in African diaspora art, in Native American art museums, in all at all, right? Because our community is very diverse and then therefore should not be missing out of any major museum, period. I think I'm very excited too about this Smithsonian Latino Museum. Finally, what a great conversation. But it shouldn't be mutually exclusive, right? That conversation should feed a larger quest for representation and inclusion because Latinx art should be normal, should be everywhere. And that's kind of what we all write what I wish for. I, I hope that the book will be a wake-up call to see that, right? That these artists need to be in all galleries. It's great that we have a Latinx gallery like Calderon, but Latinx artists should be in all other galleries too. Right, And I think we're going to end it here because it's a podcast and we want to make sure that it's very handy and people actually listen to it, short and sweet. But last, um, would, I would like to welcome any major questions or comments from the audience since you've been listening very carefully. If you do, this is the time for you. If not, I want to shout out that there's like David Antonio, Wanda Reimundi, Carlos Rosales, Eric... I, your last name, I forget. Santos uh, and Florencia Escudero. There's a bunch of incredible artists in the back. Yes, a question. Yes. So my question was, are you finding it difficult or is there opportunity for investing in Latinx artists from sort of financial fund kind of world? I think now is the time because the market is very reachable. Anybody can get into it. So I think now is the time. And I think that's probably also why people are paying attention and, and collectors are paying attention because it's, you, can get, you can get in. Although we should be uh, purchasing these works not only because it's a great investment, but also because it's, right? Um, but, you know, I also want to highlight that, you know, when I was writing the I, book... I think that's okay, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, it gets everybody happy, the artists have money, the, you know. But also, I don't think any collection is complete without Latinx artists, period, right? And I think that that's another conversation. But I think you were talking about something different, right? So, so my, my question was more about getting sort of the individuals or institutions that are funding artists from sort of... Um, private equity, those like, giving that kind of money. And, and I, I also, when I was interviewing for the book, a big concern for curators was how difficult it was to find funding for Latinx exhibitions, right? And that's another issue, uh, uh, particularly compared to Latin American art exhibitions where you have embassies, curators, and more established right, donors that recognize the category, right? versus with Latinx, because you don't have that kind of, right? Like the fact that who are they, where are they? Or the incredible racist ideas that that has less value and it's like a ghetto thing. For instance, and also many artists tended to nationalize. That was another trend. I saw a lot of artists that would say that would highlight their national privilege, right? If they exhibited, you, wouldn't, you would say born in Mexico. Right? They may be Latinx, but this, this tendency to kind of like present yourself as like Latin American because that was more value, more recognition. I do think that that's one thing that's changing now and that that's one of the positives of the category of Latinx is that people are realizing. But I think time will tell. I don't know if you see any changes in you know, funding. 
I I think there's um I definitely seen changes in funding in terms of acquisitions of artworks like you know this past there's different acquisition groups in our museum and I presented a Latinx artist for our higher group this past um, fall and I you know I wasn't sure because it was a new artist that I was introducing to them but I really thought I would buy this work. This is where I would put my money as an investment. <laughs> and, um, and they all loved it and, and we got it. So I definitely think, and, and that's something else to say that I think often people um, just need to be more exposed and they're eager to learn and they just need the opportunity to have somebody there that is guiding them to make those decisions. And that's why it's important to have Latinx, curators in those museums because they're the ones that are going to gravitate towards those artists. So I also, I've been very surprised and humbled that even my own preconceived notions, oh, they're not going to go for it. No, they, they're into it. They just need to know and they <laughs> need to share with them and they're going to see the beauty that, that you see once you share it. So, um, that's yeah. Is, that's why, again, you need, you need uh, curators, right? Latinx curators, at all levels, right? I mean, that's when you look at, you mentioned uh, the Smithsonian portrait, right? The work that Taina Caracol has been able to do, Carmen y Ramos, in transforming the entire collections of the Smithsonian because they're there sitting at the table and guiding acquisitions. So, yeah. absolutely. And also, you know, the Mellon Foundation and the Ford Foundation have become right now engines of a lot of the funding that's going on with two uh, Latin females in those um, institutions and in those organizations. So I think that there's, there's certainly been a change towards uh, more funding than there was before and more interest. And not only, even from the Latin American side, like even more Latin American curators are kind of trying to connect with, you know, Chicano context and so on. So uh, we just have to keep at it. Absolutely. So any, any more thoughts or questions? Yes, Wanda. Let's, let's, let's um, rephrase the question. She's asking, uh, how do we stretch the work of curators that are perhaps focused on DC or New York City or Los Angeles to ensure that that effort of reaching out to and, and highlighting Latinx artists right, remain, becomes a national phenomenon, right? Um, I think that... Um I think that I really admire the work of Thelma Golden. I think that's somebody to look at in terms of strategies. She created a network for um, black curators in this country. Sometimes um, I hear she would create also private meetings with those curators to get together and invite them for conversations. Like I think that it's about creating a community and really, even moments like this, the fact that we're here, artists come, we're in conversation together, like the more that we can create community and spaces of exchange, 
in solidarity, uh, the better. And I think that's probably the biggest change that we have. Arlene and NYU doing this fantastic book, you know, putting the word forward, artists, galleries, dealers, curators, like, you know, we just have to, because institutions are always gonna be um, challenging spaces, not only because because of the politics of it, but also because the resources are, are, are not, there's so much that we can do. You know, so and, and that's not going to change tomorrow, and that, that's not going to change. But but what can change is our community engagement in our relationships. Yeah, absolutely, and and I think that's perhaps one of the most rewarding aspects of writing this book is that you know I just this morning got an invitation. I think it was from Arkansas, you know, and they wanted to have a conversation, you know, and they wanted me to speak or whatever. And it's like having that book, right? And in fact, that's what I wrote it. You know, I wrote it so that somebody else doesn't have to write it. Like, it's there, right? And then they could do, they have, could have other conversations, more enriching conversations, right? But I think also we need to be very sensitive to issues of region-centric. You know, we tend to be very region-centric and we have to challenge that, right? Um, I'm always very interested in Midwestern artists, right? So, and actually asking here if anybody wants to pitch us write-ups from artists right in the Midwest, in the Southwest, everywhere else, send them to us at the Latinx Project in Interventions because we've been eager to locate writers who could actually feature those communities too. And I think that I would, you know, Marilena, you too, and you know, you probably are as interested, right, in learning about those artists. Um, you should not have to move to New York City I mean, right, that's ridiculous to be an artist. And right now, social media is allowing us to, is another great tool for that conversation to, to happen. And I will leave Karen, perhaps, to speak on that. Oh, on, on, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, on that, just, just to promote a little bit, if you are an artist, uh, if you are interested in Latinx art and artists, to sign up for the Latinx Art Collective and, and see all the artists that there are across the nation that are doing great work, who want to be seen, who want to show, and not just show their work, who want to be part of talks and panels and, and speak on their practice. Uh, but social media has been a huge driver for them to, to highlight their own practice. So I think we just call it a day, right? I want to thank uh, this incredible Bravas, follow their work, and uh, thank everybody who was here, and most importantly, um, the Untitled team for giving us the platform. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.